Zen Salutations, sports and entertainment fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is I, Michael Shibley, your glorious host, the ace of Tennessee Sports Podcasting, for another glorious and awesome edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network, and hope everyone has had a wonderful week out there. I know I have, even though I was struggling for a little while going in and seeing what are we going to talk about this week. We're always going to come up with great topics, but I had a little bit of trouble finding what was going to really lead this. We had, of course, the Orange and White game and all the other spring games going on. You had the the playoffs, of course, are always big to talk about, especially in the NHL and the NBA, and we'll get to those soon, but we have to lead off with redemption being spelled T-I-G-E-R this week. Tiger Woods winning the Masters Tournament for his fifth green jacket, his 15th overall major championship. It was amazing to watch him win the Masters, his first major since 2008. It's been 11 years since he won a major championship, and he did that one, of course, in dramatic fashion, pretty much playing on a broken leg and winning in the extra day of playoffs as they used to do. They had to play an extra round if you have a tie at the end of the U.S. Open, at least back then. They've gone not to that anymore, but beating Rocco Mediate on pretty much a broken leg Tiger was doing that, but then everything that happened in his personal life, a lot of that, of course, was self-inflicted with, you know, the problems in his marriage, the the cheating, all the, the things there, going into therapy for battling sex addiction, the DUI that happened a little while ago, and then, of course, the back injuries and the problems he has had. And those of you who don't play golf, I mean, that swing, so much of that is with the back. You have a back that acts up like that. It can be just problematic and affect you for the rest of your career. Look at what it did to Fred Couples back in the early 90s when people thought he could have maybe even gone after Jack Nicholas's record, or Nicholas's record, rather. So you look at all these things and see the fact that Tiger, the roars through the pines were back for Tiger on Master Sunday, which was incredible. And of course, they had to play it in, in a shortened fashion. They had threesomes going off and playing a lot quicker because of the fact that thunderstorms were on the way. So the fact that the match also ended and everything in the tournament ended around 2 3 o'clock was also very awesome to see. I, I actually enjoyed that, the fact that it was over so early. But Tiger, just a grand comeback, the first time he has ever won a major coming from behind all the other 14 majors he had been in the lead at the start of the final round so that was awesome to see the shot he had on 16 where it was within inches of the cup was amazing to see that pretty much sealed everything there for tiger which was great you know you've got these comebacks where you look at especially you know muhammad ali coming back and beating George Foreman with the rope-a-dope, Michael Jordan coming back. They're just these great second acts that, you know, the, the philosophy is always, there's no second acts in life. Well, there has been for Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan coming back after playing baseball and still winning three championships, Ali with the rope-a-dope. And then even lo- you look at the man he beat, George Foreman, 20 years after Foreman lost his title, He knocks out Michael Moore at the age of, I think, 45 to become heavyweight champion of the world again. So those were great redemption stories. And Tiger Woods has another great one here. Coming back from two strokes down, again, just something amazing to see. 
the Tiger effect was in full effect as well, as people were tweeting a lot of people who had not really even been watching golf since Tiger fell out of real contention in a lot of these majors were back. Places where people weren't even paying attention, the TV was on and Tiger was playing, people were watching. It was amazing to see, as much as some golf purists don't say, oh, the game speaks for itself. No, you got to have somebody to carry it. And Tiger had been that, and it looks like he might be again. We'll talk about his future here in a moment. But still, just a wonderful story. And of course, he had some help. Molinari and some of these other guys put the ball in the drink on 12. 12, of course, the just the perfect par 3 with Ray's Creek in front of it and the Hogan Bridge. It's the most picturesque hole pretty much in golf, and the fact that those guys put it in the drink, and Tiger didn't make mistakes. He did make some great shots, but also Tiger did not make any mistakes, which was huge. Do I put it with Jack Nicklaus winning in 1986 at the age of 46 for his sixth Masters? I don't know. That is up for debate. I do know, of course, I was only three when Nicklaus did that, so I have no real memories of that one, but you look at Jack Nicholas shooting, I believe, a 30 for six under par on the back nine on Masters Sunday. That just is an incredible feat. But what Tiger did, of course, also was just amazing. And again, we will see where this all goes because people are now thinking, hey, Tiger might have a chance to catch Jack Nicholas at 18 majors. That's the goal. That's the goal Tiger has been saying ever since he was a little kid that he wanted to catch and pass Jack for most majors ever. And Back in 2008, people thought it was almost a foregone conclusion, but then everything happened in his personal life, all the self-inflicted wounds that he had there. So you have that, and then again, 11 years without winning a major. Yes, last year he finished second in the British Open. He had a good run in the U.S. Open. He won the Tour Championship, so you could see this building, but Again, we talked last week. I didn't see this fully coming. I thought he was going to finish in the top 10. I love being wrong in things like this. It's just a great storybook moment. You look at the moment that they showed where Tiger was hugging his kid, his son, after winning. And, of course, they compared that to back in 97 when Tiger was just a wee 21-year-old winning the Masters in 97 and hugging his dad. So the parallels there was just an awesome visual and something awesome to see there. You look, Tiger now is 43 years old, so he's also three years younger than Jack was when he won that 18th major. We'll see. I think if he wants to have a legitimate shot, though, of catching and even maybe passing Jack Nicholas with 18 majors, getting to 19, he's going to have to win at least one more this year, if not two, because some of these courses coming up, they are ones Tiger has won on. He, the PGA Championship, which has now been moved to May, it used to be in late August, early September, but of course that conflicted with so much football that golf was just like, hey, let's put it in May, which I think was a good idea, personally. I think it was a great idea, but the PGA Championship at Bethpage Black, a place Tiger won a U.S. Open, I believe in 2002, and then the U.S. Open is back at Pebble Beach, a place Tiger has won and dominated at with U.S. Opens. So that is something to definitely consider when we're looking at it. I think he's got to win at least one more to get to 16 to see if he could be at striking distance. Of course, Augusta will always be in play for Tiger. He knows that course well. The rough is not terrible at Augusta either compared to what Bethpage Black is going to have or 
what the U.S. Open, wherever it may be, has with rough. You have to be much more accurate off the tee, so we'll have to see how that goes. I do think Tiger is going to get one or two more majors. I still don't think he's going to catch Jack. I don't think he will catch the Golden Bear, but still, this was wonderful, just another wonderful sports moment. And people will remember that. And again, great redemption. You talk about redemption for the Virginia Cavaliers winning the NCAA tournament this year after losing to the 16 seed for the first time ever. You had that last week, and now you've got Tiger Woods with another great redemption. Just a wonderful story, and we'll see where it goes from here. And hopefully, again, it it inspires some more young golfers to take up the sport. I enjoy playing golf. I wish I could get out and play it more. It's a wonderful thing to go out there. I've loved going out and golfing with my dad around the courses, no matter where we are. I'm still terrible. I, I don't think I've improved much since I was 13 years old, but it's still fun to get out there and play a good round of golf on the links. So that's everything going on with the Masters. Let's move to the other big topic that we're talking about. It came out, of course, we talked about this also last week where Rick Barnes has decided to stay at the University of Tennessee after having a big flirtation with UCLA. And what has come up with Rick Barnes staying at Tennessee is that he had a press conference and he flat out came out and said he would have gone to UCLA if they had paid his buyout, he would have been the UCLA head coach, where there were reports that UCLA, even though they were going to pay him $5 million a year, were not going to give him the full amount of the $5 million buyout he had with UT. They were going to give him a signing bonus, even though with taxes, that was going to take a lot of that chunk out, so he was going to still be responsible for that. Because again, Rick Barnes, 65 years old, I believe, is what Coach Barnes is right now. And he even said, you know, he grew up with John Wooden in UCLA, and the chance to resurrect UCLA was very appealing to him. And he wanted to give it a shot, but it looked like UCLA wasn't as forthcoming. I give credit to Tennessee and Rick Barnes also for coming back and saying to UT, hey, here's what I want. And it looks like he and Philip Fulmer worked some of those things out and gave him a raise. So, but we'll see. But then there's a lot of Tennessee fans now who are just seem to be very upset that Rick Barnes came out and said, well, I was going to go to UCLA, where it, it's very hypocritical to me when you look at that because so many people are tired of coach speech. So many fans are tired of coaches PR spinning things and talking in, in metaphors and, and, and talking in cliches and one game at a time and finding a way to back off on it. Rick Barnes doubled down with his honesty, and I applaud him for that. He's 65 years old. He's got a great situation here at UT. He was looking maybe for a better situation with UCLA. That fell through. Now he's got a great situation here. You shouldn't fault him for that. We talked about it last week. If someone calls and offers you a job and it's a great thing like that, you call, you listen, And if you take it, you take it. But he didn't. He's here. He loves the area here. He has stressed that plenty. And I hope Tennessee fans understand that. Even though, yes, UCLA was there for the taking, but after everything and some prayer and all these other factors that went into it, Rick Barnes is still here. And you have to applaud him for being honest. I'm tired of people lying to me. I, You see it in politics, you see it in sports, you see it in pretty much now all walks of life. If you just spend five seconds on social media, people lie. The fact that he's come out and been honest about things has been wonderful to see. 
And that bothers me because we've all wanted these coaches and players and everybody to be honest. And now we have somebody who's honest, and now you're mad at him for it. So you have to have you can't have it both ways all the time. So take it. Rick Barnes is here. I'm happy he is. I am thrilled he is still here on Rocky Top. So take that. I am excited to see what next season brings for Rick Barnes and the Vols on the basketball court. Speaking of next season, the UT spring game happened. The orange and white game happened also here over the weekend. Had an evening start uh, to go with the SEC network, which was kind of interesting because it's always been, as far as I remember, right in the middle, uh, early or late, uh, you know, early mid afternoon. But which has been tough because, again, around this time of year here in Knoxville, the temperature can get up to be pretty warm. And so you're just baking on those stadium seats. So that was kind of interesting to see. And I think it worked out well. It was the orange and white game, a perfectly acceptable scrimmage, which is what it is. It's a game between the orange team and the white team. You had first team uh, offense, second team defense on the white team, and you had the second team offense, first team defense on the orange team. So you always had ones versus ones and ones versus twos, which I, I like really when it when it boils down to it. You didn't really learn anything much from this game. There's not a lot to really take away from it because you know they're not going to try and show new wrinkles or show anything like that it showed. Again, here's, here's what we knew last season, at the end of last season, and here's what we know going in. It's the same thing. Garantano, he's gotten better at quarterback. It looks like the playmakers are still there. We've got plenty of playmakers at the wide receiver and at the at the, at the running back position. Ty Chandler's going to run the ball. Callaway and Palmer and Jennings are there to catch it. They're still there. Garantano was 19 for 37, 198 yards, four touchdowns, 52-yard long pass, of course, uh, Callaway, I believe, pretty much just burned a walk-on cornerback, so don't take that much away from that. He was the game MVP. That's fine. The White won 28-10. We still have the good skill makers, and that's where Tennessee is going to have to win football games. It showed against Kentucky, and it showed against Auburn, the two wins over ranked teams that we had. Throw the ball up to the playmakers. Let them do their jobs. Don't ignore them and try and... and establish something that might not be there it does look like Jim Chaney the new offensive coordinator is going to be putting in more of a physical aspect which I'm perfectly fine with but again you've got these playmakers you got to get the ball to them and let them go to work especially because the offensive line is still a big problem it's going to be a problem especially if Trey Smith can't play and he, he's wanting to play, he's trying to I don't know if he's going to be medically cleared to play but he's the only one with any type of starting experience on the projected offensive line. So that's going to be a big thing. Garantano is going to have to make decisions quick, get the ball to the playmakers, and don't take as many hits because I don't know how much more. He, he took them all last season, but I don't know how much more he can take. So the, the plus I got out of it that surprised me a little bit was how good it looked like the linebacking core and the back seven, the back seven pretty much, the linebacking core and the defensive backs were on defense. I liked what I saw there. But Garantano establishes the starting quarterback, and the line play is still going to be huge, both on the defense and the offensive end. It's just what it is. We knew that going into the season. We didn't have any changes in that after the spring game. And they'll still be, I will talk about it, I'm sure, ad nauseum going into the football season. So you have all that. 
nothing to really change the rankings and impressions. Again, it's spring ball. You're not going to learn anything new. And that's what we got. So there we go. It was a fun thing for the fans to go and see and hear Rocky Top and cheer on the guys in the stadium, which is always a great atmosphere. But I'm not drawing any big conclusions about the season based on what we saw at the spring game. Also here, kind of to finish up this uh, Rocky Top segment here at the end of this first block, uh, UT Baseball back in the top 25. They're up to 22 after winning two of three versus the number two ranked Georgia Bulldogs at beautiful Lindsey Nelson Stadium. They also won their Tuesday game, so that was good to see. They're at Kentucky this weekend, so that's a pivotal series because one of those teams, we need to just keep establishing and winning these series over teams that are right on our level in SEC baseball to get back to the SEC tournament and hopefully get back into the NCAA tournament. But Tennessee looked great. Junior pitcher uh, and Chesapeake native from my neck of the woods in Hampton Roads, Virginia, Garrett Stallings. He was named SEC Pitcher of the Week for his Friday 3-0 complete game shutout over Georgia. That was amazing to see, especially in Major League Baseball. You don't see complete games much anymore. That was amazing to see. Uh, Scattered five hits. One walk, five strikeouts. Congratulations to Garrett Stallings. Also, the softball team back on track. They're still ranked ninth or eighth, depending on which poll you look at. They swept Mississippi State as they should, beating their brains out all weekend long. Infielder and designated player Caitlin Parsons, she was named SEC Freshman of the Week for her 4 of 7, 4 run, 4 RBI performance against Mississippi State, so hats off to her. And the Lady Vols are traveling down to Athens to face the number 16th ranked Georgia Bulldogs in softball. So big weekend up for the Vols and Lady Vols on the diamond, so That's going to wrap up this first segment. Of course, you are listening here to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on Outlander Media Network. Of course, you can check out everything we've got at outlandermedia.net. We can check out all the other great shows, J&B DLC, or... Uh, now it's going to be DLC Respawn, Haffle, Deadbeat Radio, Phantasm. We've got another horror podcast coming up. All the great stuff. There's a media player. You can check that out. And of course, you can download us wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course now on Spotify. So everywhere you get your podcasts, you can hear us here on the Outlander Media Network. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley, and you can check out Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook and Instagram. Just search us for the show page. Give us a like. Give us a follow. I appreciate it. We'll love you forever. And of course, wherever you get these podcasts, like, subscribe, share, comment, All that great stuff. Give us those five-star reviews. That's how it gets out into the rest of the world, and we can hear everything uh, and get us out there and spread us to more audience. If you like us, get us out to that bigger audience. You're the ones that can help us do that. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with shibbles and bits in the world of pro wrestling after this. Again, you are listening to Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. Ah, yes, you hear the music, you know it's time for Shibbles and Bits here on Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. And boy, 
the playoffs for the NBA and the NHL, there's not a lot going on except for where it's going crazy, which is for top seeds in both the NBA and the NHL. We'll start with the NBA. The best game so far of the playoff season happened where the Los Angeles Clippers, the eight seed out west, came back from 31 points down to even the series with the Golden State Warriors at 1-1. Again, just an insane matchup, and it happened at Oracle Arena, the Golden State Warriors' home court. It's amazing. The biggest comeback ever in the playoffs like that. That's just amazing to see. I had to catch the replay because it was happening so damn late that nobody was able to stay up and watch it unless you lived pretty much on the west coast or you had nothing else to do and i had to go to work in the morning so i couldn't just stay up and watch but what i saw it was just amazing to see and also the fact that boogie cousins went down with a torn quad so he is out probably for the rest of the playoffs so the warriors are down but again they've still got their core four of kevin durant steph curry Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. They're still all there. They still know what they're doing. I still think the Warriors are going to make it all the way. I think this was a big setback, but I still see that they're going to make it and make the finals and probably win it out of whoever comes out of the East. But you can see maybe that the Clippers won. Obviously, they're not going to go away that easy. Patrick Beverly has been on Kevin Durant like nobody's business it has been really interesting to watch they both got tossed in game one and if you have an extended series which goes now goes six or even seven games in that first round and then the Warriors then might have to end up playing the Rockets who are up one nothing on the Jazz the Rockets took the Warriors to game seven last year and they've got pretty much their whole core back that did that last season and hopefully Chris Paul would be healthy in that one so there are questions I still have plenty of faith in that core with the Warriors to get it done and win their fourth NBA championship in five years something that hasn't been done especially in the modern NBA so I'm not panicking yet I don't think Warriors fans should but again still an incredible comeback by the LA Clippers doing way more in basketball than LeBron and the Lakers did at all this season, so hats off to them. Meanwhile, for the rest of the NBA, it's all kind of been meh so far. You had a couple of two-seeds, though, fall down and lose Game 1. You had the Nuggets and the Raptors both lose Game 1 to the Magic and Spurs, but both of those teams came back, so the Raptors and Magic and the Nuggets and Spurs series are both tied 1-1. The Blazers have been taking care of Westbrook and Paul George and the Thunder so far. They're up 2-0. The 76ers and the Nets, that could be a fun series. That's tied 1-1. Celtics took care of the Pacers. They're up 1-0. The Bucks and Pistons also 1-0. That one shouldn't be close at all. Antetokounmpo and the Bucks should just demolish the Pistons as they did in Game 1. And again, the Rockets and the Jazz. The Rockets are up 1-0. Meanwhile, the NHL. The Tampa Bay Lightning pretty much now need to walk from Columbus all the way back to Tampa. They were the President's Cup uh, trophy winners, which means they had by far the most points. They were dominant all regular season long. Then the playoffs start, and they got swept. I told you on the podcast last week, when especially it comes to hockey, if you got the President's Cup winner or the field, I'm taking the field every time, and I was right about that. Wow, I didn't think that they were going to struggle in the first round and just get swept out 
badly. I mean, they were gone. The, they, the games weren't even close. The closest one was game one where the Lightning were up 3-0 and then still lost the game. So that, and since then, I think they just, they just got demolished by the Columbus Blue Jackets. And the Blue Jackets had never won a playoff series before. They're a younger franchise, but they still hadn't won one yet. Now, granted, yes, the Blue Jackets are not technically, they are an eight seed. Technically, they are an eight seed. But there were three playoff teams out West who had less points than they did. So they were the 13th best team out of the 16 that made the playoffs. They're more like a six or seven seed. But still, the Lightning should not have lost the series, let alone just get swept out like this. It's the first time ever a President's Cup winning team has gone on to get swept out of the first round of the playoffs like that. Again, the Lightning, their coaching staff, their entire franchise, let alone, they don't get to fly back to Tampa. They shouldn't have to fly back. They shouldn't even take the bus back to Tampa. They should all have to walk and hitchhike back at this point. That was just an embarrassment by the best team by far in the NHL regular season, and now they're out, and that's been it. Meanwhile, talking about getting swept, the Penguins, everybody's favorite franchise, the Penguins are swept out by the Islanders as well, so it, it's a good day, especially for my friend like Tyler Sonicson and Aaron Cody Campbell, those guys, big Washington Capitals fans, uh, teams that they don't like, especially the Penguins, they're gone, so they don't have to worry about that in the playoffs anymore, so the Blue Jackets and Islanders have already advanced in the playoffs. Meanwhile, everything else is pretty much bogged down as it should be in the NHL. The Winnipeg Jets and St. Louis Blues are tied up two games to two. The Las Vegas Golden Knights are taking care so far of the San Jose Sharks, three games to one. The Maple Leafs are up on the Bruins, two games to one. My Nashville Predators are up on the Dallas Stars, two games to one. The Calgary Flames are down uh, two games to one to the Colorado Avalanche. And the Washington Capitals are up two games to one on the Carolina Hurricanes. So that's your playoff look there in the United States. Let's go international for a second. The UEFA Champions League. We've had some interesting things going on so far. Not really a surprise from yesterday's results as of this recording. Barcelona took care of Manchester United for nothing to advance on aggregate. And uh, But the big upset came as Ajax, who first of all knocked out Real Madrid in the previous round. Now they're into this round and Ajax or Ajax, however you want to call it, Ajax out of Holland. Whoo! Three to two on aggregate to knock out Juventus. So Cristiano Ronaldo's old team gets knocked out by Ajax. His current team gets knocked out by Ajax. And that was tough because Juventus, you were thinking, especially adding Ronaldo, that they were going to make a big run to the Champions League final. But that's not the case. They are out. As of the games going on today, as of this recording, Liverpool, they're up 2-0 on aggregate with FC Porto. And Tottenham is up 1-0 on on Manchester City and both of those goals they're away goals and remember on aggregate if you have more away goals if it's a draw the away goals way more so you advance on this home and home series so I look for Liverpool and Tottenham to advance but we'll see I think Man City could come back though and make that one a game we'll see where the away goals come into play there Moving over to college basketball very quickly, LSU has reinstated Will Wade as his bas- as their basketball coach on the men's side. That was amazing. They did it Sunday night, so they were very quick with dumping this because they released it about an hour before Game of Thrones started. 
So that's something to definitely consider the timing of this. But uh, Wade met with athletic director Joe Oliva and NCAA clients of compliance officials, and they met, and they seemed to apparently be satisfied with Will Wade's answers. Now, again, remember, Will Wade was caught on FBI wiretap discussing payments to recruits, and it's his voice, it has been confirmed, all of that, and so that's why he was suspended, and that's why LSU, you know, flamed out of the SEC tournament, and then uh, they only were able to go as far as the Sweet 16. They still won the SEC regular season championship, but we'll have to see what happens. It looks like the fans, they obviously wanted him back. And now we'll see if the gamble that LSU is making pays off here. Because a lot of times, if you find these things and you get rid of a guy, and I'm surprised they just suspended him. I was shocked they didn't fire him to begin with. If you look back at what we were talking about a few weeks ago when we addressed this situation here on Modern Day Gladiators. So the fact that he's now back on the sidelines, that could be big. LSU is gambling that this is all going to go away and there's nothing that the NCAA can do about it to punish LSU because they're with this guy. The fact that they're sticking with him means if the NCAA finds something with these FBI wiretaps and all this other stuff, they could put him on probation for even bigger for keeping him. So we will see where this goes. LSU is taking a huge gamble here. So give him credit, I guess, for sticking with him because he's gonna—he's a better coach than anybody there we're going to get with this situation. So they're just going to ride this one out. We will see where it goes. But it was interesting to see him get back and reinstated at LSU. I thought he was gone and done after everything that came out. Another story that we reported uh, last week here on Modern Day Gladiators Orioles. Uh, I use Slugger loosely. Chris Davis, he had been and set a new record for hitless and futility at the plate going 0 for 52. Finally came to an end as Chris Davis snapped a 0 for it went up to 54 uh, batting streak with a uh, two-run single in the first inning of a game Saturday against the Boston Red Sox. He was very happy. He asked for the ball, which is good. Happy for him. He went on to have a couple more hits in that series, so maybe he's back on track. Maybe the monkey now finally off his back. He is able to go on with the rest of the season and hopefully uh, worth at least a little bit more of the $21 million or whatever their Orioles are paying him to stay there and be terrible. So hopefully he's going to now be less terrible. They're for a terrible franchise right now, the Baltimore Orioles, my favorite baseball team, which, again, terrible to watch. Some good news, though. The Boston Marathon happened uh, here on Monday. That was Patriots Day, as they always have in Boston. Always a great event with an early Red Sox game and the Boston Marathon, the 123rd running of the marathon. It had some excitement in it. Uh, Lawrence uh, Chirono of Kenya. He outkicked uh, two-time defending champ or two-time champ Lasilia Disa to win the 123rd Boston Marathon at two hours, seven minutes, 57 seconds. Only two seconds ahead of Disia. Uh, Chirono, again, it was a sprint to the finish, which you don't see a lot in marathons. So that was really exciting to see. Uh, congratulations on Chirono for getting that win. And then Ethiopian Worknesh uh, Dig. Degafa, I believe, or Degata, won uh, the women's race at 2 hours, 23 minutes, 31 seconds. She had never run the Boston Marathon before, so congratulations to her for getting the win there. American Jordan Hans- Hansi 
came in third. But the big story that a lot of people here were focused on was the story of uh, Micah Herndon. He was a U.S. Marine running in the marathon, and everybody saw the image and the video of him crawling. His body started to fail him 22 miles into the 26.2-mile race, but his legs started to cramp up and fail him, and when he got near the finish line, his body just quit on him, but he did not quit. The Marine crawled on his hands and knees to finish the marathon. He was injured in a uh, IED attack in Afghanistan, and he was competing as tribute to his fallen comrades, three of his fallen comrades in Afghanistan, running with their last names on his shoes, and again, just to help, and he uses it also as therapy for the PTSD that he has and the survivor guilt that he's got and been helping him in his life. That was a great moment. Everybody was cheering him on, and again, he couldn't get any help because if you're assisted, the result does not count. So he wanted the result, so he crawled on his hands and knees. He did get medical assistance immediately after crossing the finish line, but that was just an awesome moment. And he was on Good Morning America, and they were happy to announce, even though at the time that he had having to crawl, it didn't qualify him for the New York City Marathon. The New York City Marathon Committee, whatever they are, granted him a special exemption, and so he's going to get to run in the New York City Marathon coming up in the next couple of months. So that was just an awesome story, and a salute here from us at Modern Day Gladiators. You, sir, uh, Mika Herndon, are a true Modern Day Gladiator. So thank you for your service and a great finish and a great moment there and helping uh, to honor your fallen comrades. So we salute you here at Modern Day Gladiators. You, sir, again, a true Modern Day Gladiator. Moving on to the predetermined Modern Day Gladiators in the world of professional wrestling as we turn the page here and wrap up this episode of Modern Day Gladiators. The Superstar Shakeup as we shake up my pages here uh, happened on Raw and SmackDown that of course here in the WWE is when they take people who have been on Raw and move them to SmackDown and SmackDown moved over to Raw so that happened not the big exciting kind of draft look that they've had the last couple of years where they put you know everybody's faces on the Jumbotron and siphon them through and Everybody gets a big pop and everything. They had it in Montreal, which is good. It's always a hot crowd there in Montreal. But on Raw, you've got moving over to Raw from SmackDown. The big one, of course, AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, is moving over to Raw. Uh, Then you had Miz, Ricochet, Aleister Black, uh, the uh, War Machine or War Raiders, which I will get to in a moment. Uh, because they are not that anymore. Andrade, Selena Vega, Rey Mysterio, The Usos, Naomi, EC3, Lacey Evans, Eric Young, and Cedric Alexander are all on Raw. AJ Styles definitely giving him some new competition will be great. I think The Usos also moving over was a really good move. They have fought the bar in the new day forever, so giving them some new competition will be great there. Uh, You look at also... I like the idea of Andrade moving over there. I think that could be good. Ricochet and Aleister Black, keeping them as a tag team, I think to prop up the tag team division will be good there. Also on SmackDown now, the big one, of course, at the end of the show, Roman Reigns has now moved to SmackDown, which I think is great for him. I think the fact that now he's away from Seth Rollins and now they've completely killed the Shield because, of course, Dean Ambrose did not renew his contract, giving, again, Roman Reigns some new competition. 
and some new ideas and different things. I guess it's a great change of pace for him to move to SmackDown. I think that's just going to be good for everybody involved there. Also, Intercontinental Champion Finn Balor moves over to SmackDown. Also with U.S. Champion Samoa Joe still there, so that's interesting. Elias, Bailey, Ember Moon, uh, Kyrie Sane making her debut, Lars Sullivan, Buddy Murphy, Liv Morgan, Chad Gable, Apollo Crews, Mickey James, uh, Otis and Tucker of Heavy Machinery are also on there. Of course, the big news out of all of this was uh, Roe and Hanson. They, of course, wore the War Raiders, who again had a great tag team match against Alistair Black and Ricochet on the last NXT TakeOver. They have now debuted on Raw, but they're not Rowan Hansen. They are Eric and Ivar now, and they're not the War Raiders anymore. They're the Viking Experience. It's hard sometimes to be a wrestling fan, and this is one of those moments where I don't know what Vince is thinking anymore, but Viking Experience to me just sounds like It sounds like a ride at the Epcot Center, or it sounds like what American tourists do when they go to Iceland. It's like a tour package when you go on a tour of Iceland. It's like, oh, welcome to Iceland. What what package are you liking? Well, we'd like the Viking experience, please. So it it sounds stupid with ring announcers saying that instead of, you know, the War Raiders. It's the Viking experience. It just sounds ridiculous. Something needs to change there. I hope... They realize the error of their ways and put them back for War Raiders, but who knows at this point. They spend all that great time in NXT having great matches with everybody, and then they become now the Viking experience, which is just, it's so ridiculous. So it gives me a headache. It, I'm surprised with that name change that they didn't just quit. And speaking of quitting, that looks like what a couple of other WWE superstars are trying to do. Uh, Sasha Banks, of course, the boss, Sasha Banks, who I love. I think she's great. Looks like she had gotten kind of lost in the shuffle with the rise of Becky Lynch and Charlotte and Ronda Rousey, even though Sasha and Ronda Rousey, I thought, had a great match at the Royal Rumble. You know, teaming with Bayley was great, but then they lose the championships at WrestleMania, so they don't even get to defend them, except for the one time at... uh, at the elimination, no, they won it at the elimination chamber, and then they got to defend it at Fast Lane. But then they lose it to the Iconics at WrestleMania. They were, I guess, both Bailey and Sasha were under the impression that they were going to be able to establish the belts a little bit because a lot of times, especially with new belts, you get a new champ like that. Let her def- let them defend it for a good period of time, and it really establishes the prestige of the title. But it looks like Sasha Banks, she has unfollowed WWE on Twitter and is following AEW, so it looks like she's trying to get released from her contract. If that happens, she could go over to AEW and do wonderful there. Luke Harper looks like he's trying to leave as well, part of the Wyatt family. He had an injury, came back. Uh, He had a good match with the Worlds Collide uh, stuff at the WWE Access around WrestleMania with... uh, with uh, Jakovic, which was a great Haas battle. So that was fun to see. But again, I think there could be greener pastures for him as well. He's a little older, but still a great worker. And I think he could do good things in New Japan or AEW or wherever he goes. I think he could do well. One of the big things that AEW, though, needs to focus on, and we'll see going forward what happens with them, 
You can't sign every WWE cast off. Dean Ambrose, it, rumors has it, he's being offered $6 million contract with AEW, which is more than what Rollins or Roman Reigns are being paid right now in the WWE. So I love the fact, and I've talked about this before, that AEW is here as it looks like legitimate competition. We'll see what happens. It looks like they're having a... Uh, TV deal working out maybe with the Turner Networks, which would be amazing. Turner, of course, has a history with WCW of hosting great wrestling, so we'll see there. It's exciting going through. Again, let them have the Double or Nothing pay-per-view, which I will watch and recap fully here on Modern Day Gladiators, and we'll talk about that more, but... I think AEW is off to a good start, and when you get people like maybe Sasha Banks joining AEW would be a huge boost to the women's division that they have there. We'll see what happens. There are more to come with all of this in the world of professional wrestling, and of course, more great sports stories to come in the world of sports in the weeks to come, and we will talk about that here on Modern Day Gladiators as always, but until next week, it's time to sign off. I love you guys. Too sweet. I will see you next time.